You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Dr. Holly, how are you this week? Hey, Robert. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm having fun talking to you. I- That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Me too. Me too. for a while that we didn't record, but that's okay. Yeah, that's right. I know. I feel... I think if we had started this maybe a couple hours ago, I'd been like, oh, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm still kind of in that wrapping up the semester mode. But yeah. I have loved this last little bit of just chatting with you and laughing. And, you know, and now we get to yeah. chat with our listeners. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Kind yeah. of. One, yeah. One-way chat. Yep. Hi, friends. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, What's been happening in the past week with uh, the Oxhandler household? Yeah. Um, so we are, you know, the semester's ending for um, for me and the kiddos. And so we're kind of in that last little stretch of, you know, little things that Callie's school is doing or Oliver's school is doing. You know, I've got uh, graduation and our convocation and we do a lot of things to celebrate the end of the year, the school of social work. So I've kind of been busy with some of those things, but but I am excited that this week or this weekend, I'm going to get to go see Dave Matthews in Dallas. So that's for the 45th <laughs> time. Something like that. It's somewhere above 30 something now, 33 something. I don't know. I'm, I'm at the lap. Like I've lost count. That's, I don't know that there's anything in my life that I'm as dedicated to as you are to seeing Dave Matthews. Live. Oh man, it's like I mean, oh I can't. Someday maybe we'll do an episode just on the the Church of Dave Matthews Band over the summer and those <laughs> <laughs> and just how um, I don't know. There's there. I know Brene Brown talks about you know the beauty of getting to sing with strangers and th- this. You know, it really is. There's this sense of sacredness, I think, um, and just getting to see a lot of folks that I see each year at these concerts. It's fun, kind of catching up with them, and I don't know. It's just a, just, just one of my things that I love. Yeah. So, so that's coming well, up, and then we made it almost three minutes into the show without mentioning Brene. So I <laughs> almost, I know, but to, can I be honest with you? I actually haven't seen the Netflix um, special yet. Ooh, I haven't either, actually. Oh, really? Well, maybe. Yeah, well, I keep looking at it, but when I, by the time I get home and it's like I click Netflix, uh-huh. I think, oh, my brain's like kind of done. I want, you know, something funny or, you know, it's it's never a time where I think, ooh, I should like really get into this, you know? Yeah. No, I hear it's really good, but Mary Alice and I have actually been texting back and forth trying to find a time um, to watch it together. And for our listeners, I'm talking about um, Pastor Mary Alice Birdwhistle, who was on a long while back, I think last fall, um, one, as one of our guests. But but yeah, we've been trying to find a time, and I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to see it. But I don't know, maybe when we're out there, we can get Gray and the kit and Callie and Oliver and Corey and Brooke and, you know... <laughs> I'll watch the Brene yeah. special, the Boars and Oxhandlers. Yeah, 
Oh, no, man. I don't, I'm trying to picture <laughs> our kids all sitting down watching no. a Brown, Brown Netflix special. Well, and I'll be honest, I don't think Corey would be, he'll, he'd probably be like, I'm good. So and that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah. totally fair. Um, so, awesome. yeah. So, we've been doing that. And then um, I know I was just telling you that I'm heading up to DC to go meet with some folks at um, the Council on Social Work Education on um, Monday and Tuesday this coming week. And so, I'm really excited about that too. So we'll yeah, see. adding to the list of fancy things that Dr. Holly attends, right? We, oh. So we have symposium. <laughs> Sympo- symp- what's the plural of symposium? I think it's symposia. Sure. But I am excited just to, you know, to get up there and to, to just start chatting with some folks um, and, you know, kind of seeing what comes of it. So yeah. Yeah. So what nice. about y'all? What Tell me what is happening in the war household these days. Yeah. So uh, this will come out on Monday, but when we're recording this on Wednesday night, actually. So the Saturday before this to the Saturday after this, uh, so the Saturday right before this comes out, actually, Brooke is traveling to Scotland. And so it is just Gray and I for a whole week of, uh, uh, you know, just the two, well, I guess three of us. I'm looking at Knox, Knox over that's here. That's right. Our dog <laughs> snoozing away over here. Um, mm. But so just the three of us, I suppose. Um, just hanging out for a whole week. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yeah, and I mean it's awesome for Brooke to get to go out there. I know you were telling me a little bit about that trip and um, what she's getting to do, but I know it's fun too, just getting a little bit of that time just for you and Gray to kind of get some time together and Knox. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, Knox. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's there's uh, obviously you know a little bit more kind of logistical thinking through things, trying to. Because where he goes during the day is kind of in the opposite direction of where I go during the mm-hmm. day because it's mm-hmm. in the direction that Brooke normally goes. So trying to make sure that I wake up early enough to be ready before he gets up and then mm. so that I can, you know, because you, usually you do like the, okay, you know, you get dressed while he eats breakfast right. and we'll swap. Yes. And, right? So obviously yes. there's that, not that. Um, and then, you know, leaving in time to go out that direction, drop him off and then go back the other direction to to you know where where I'm working so yeah it's more kind of logistical things and thinking ahead than typically you know requires of me uh-huh but it is it is fun just you know kind of I don't know getting that that one-on-one time I don't this there's nothing maybe spectacularly different about it I guess because I mean he doesn't really recognize that necessarily mm. he's only one so you know it's not like he's necessarily saying hey where's mom but it is, you know, it's just the two of us. And so there's kind of a different dynamic there. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, should we shift and talk a little bit about this episode? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm super excited to hear about it because I know this was one that I felt really bad that I wasn't able to be a part of just being in some of this end of the semester busyness that, you know, I'm really grateful. No, that- you know, and this, I thought, you know what? Because we talked a little bit about this earlier, I and I said, "Hey, don't feel bad. Don't you know, kind of." And you always say to me when I apologize for things, "Hey, you know, release that shame." Yes. Don't. So maybe we like have like a mini therapy session. Why do you feel so bad about that? <laughs> have like a little intervention. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
why do I feel bad about it? Like about not being yeah. there? Oh, yeah. well, because I am so grateful for our um, guests and their time and their willingness to to come on the show and to talk with us and for us to get to learn from them. And I really genuinely do want to, you know, be able to have that opportunity to talk with them and ask them questions and to learn directly from them. And I really do want to honor their time. So I do feel bad when, you know, times have popped up that I haven't been able to be a a part of the conversation. Although I do fully trust you. You do such a great job in these episodes. So I know I have (laughs) nothing to worry about. Um, I just feel bad, you know, because I do want to connect with our guests. And when I don't get that opportunity to talk with them directly because of other things that are um, just kind of filling up my time, you know, I just, I just feel terrible about that. But I guess going back to our episode last week on narratives, I probably should challenge some of those and, and be reminded that, you know, like, it's okay. There's no one that's shitting me or anything like that. And, Hmm. um, so yeah, and it, it, I mean, and you really do such a great job, you know, with these episodes. Not that I need to say that, but you do. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. So, but thank you for asking. I hope I don't know if that answered your question. Okay, but. Well, I thought about you know really digging in there, but maybe we'll just you know, <laughs> we, we don't need a, a whole therapy yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well. I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse. Well, I guess probably a little worse, Uh-oh. but uh, actually she's a social worker. Oh no, I missed another social worker. No. Oh man. Bummer. Hey, if you are a a counselor or a psychologist or whatever, uh, Holly still loves you. Yes, it's that's okay. true. I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Or pastor, faith leader. Yes, I love all <laughs> yeah, y'all. That's definitely yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got to talk with social worker Yesenia Reda, who is a Christian therapist in Florida, and who, uh, I mean, she practices in Spanish some of the time. Uh, she does that kind of thing. And then she is the daughter of Mexican immigrant parents. And so I actually first heard her talking or heard about her or anything on the Latinx therapy podcast, which if mm. you're in, if you find this conversation interesting, you should go check that out because they do a really good job of talking about the whole podcast is talking about mental health within kind of that cultural context, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we've we've talked before about trying to make sure that we're hearing other yes. voices, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. The, I think kind of the the popular online mental health advocacy kind of, you know, community, it's very easy for that to be kind of, you know, white mental health centered, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so trying to be intentional about having those other voices. So anyway, if you, if you find this conversation interesting or you're in the field or you just think, Hey, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting other, other viewpoints here. Yeah. That's a great podcast. They, their website, they actually have kind of a directory, I think of, of therapists who work with that population as well. So definitely mm. check all that out. But so she was on an episode of that talking about anxiety and the mm-hmm. way that that is perceived and different maybe um, presentations even of what that looks like in Latinx or Hispanic cultures. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really, really interesting to hear some of that. So I reached out and and obviously now she's on our show. And so we we cover 
a lot of things like that, right? So how kind of her family culture played into kind of how she viewed mental health before she got in the field or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, how uh, the culture that her family was from plays into that, how that's shifted since now obviously she works in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and since she is a Christian therapist, what role faith plays in all of that. So it's, I don't know, really, really interesting coming from obviously, you know, I'm coming from the perspective that I have. Mm-hmm. So to be able to say, hey, I don't know kind of anything about what the perspective is like from this other culture. Can you kind of help me understand that yeah. is, is really interesting. That's awesome. That sounds really good. I'm I'm super excited to listen to this one. It sounds like it was a rich conversation. Just what I can see from some of the notes that y'all had um, from uh, the conversation, I can tell this was a really good episode. So so I'm excited. Well, for- the good news is you'll get to listen to it. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Actually, maybe on your travels since you're I know. traveling when this comes out. Y'all. I know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because it'll come out on Monday and I'll be mm-hmm. driving up to Dallas to fly to DC. That's right. Hello, Holly on the plane. <laughs> future Holly. Hello. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Yesenia Retta. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Yesenia Reda. She is a Florida native born to Mexican immigrant parents who works as a Christian therapist in Florida, specializing in the treatment of anxiety, relationship counseling, and counseling for young adults. Yesenia, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show. Is there anything that was, I guess, the the formal bio that I pulled off your counseling website, but is there any other tidbits that might be good for the audience to know about you? Um, right off the bat, I can't think of anything. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more about me, but that covers you know, what I do and where I come yeah. from. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to start with, uh, I know that obviously you practice as a Christian counselor, right? How did you get into kind of the mental health field and what role does does faith play in that kind of from your upbringing? Okay. Well, I actually became a, a licensed clinical social worker, well, a social worker when I went to school. I wanted to be a counseling therapist or, you know, I didn't know what it was called, but it was like, a, I thought I was a psychologist right. as a right. In high school, you know, they started to do all these career inventories, like, what are you going to be? And everybody started choosing a college and where they were going. And I knew I was going to college. And I I enjoyed the elective of accounting. And then I started taking psychology, which everybody says it's two very different things. But I I have a highly analytical side. So accounting like fit that need. (laughs) But then I also have this, you know, empathic helping people side. So everybody now says, I'm glad you became a therapist, not an accountant. You'd be bored, yeah. you know. But um, actually, when I learned about psychology in my high senior year elective, um, I fell in love with the idea, and I saw myself working with children. Actually, I saw like a I could like see myself in an office having children come and talk, and I didn't even know about play therapy yet, so that's all I knew. So I went out and chose psychology as my career choice, and I was going to get my you know pursue my PhD, but when I got to that last year of psychology, you know, undergrad where I was doing research, Mm -hmm. I was really bored by it. And I was like, Oh, I have to do like, you know, two years of this or however many in in grad school or, you know, doctorate school. So I started to really think like, is this what I want to do? And then in one of the courses, I don't remember what course it was, I think it was careers in psychology. 
there was a, a professor who came in and talked about the men, the licensed, you know, mental health counselor, LCSW and LMFT careers. And I, I was just like, my, my mind was blown, like, oh, I can actually do therapy in two years and skip the research part. So <laughs> I got so excited. And of course, I was also dying to be independent from my parents because they were, and now I look back, I'm like, that was dumb because I was so blessed, you know, but <laughs> I wanted my independence, you know, I just wanted to be like on my own. And so it was a great, it was a shorter path. So anyway, yeah. making this long story short, I got to... I chose social work because I had the longest standing history, you know, of, of a career in the nation. I really enjoyed like the different variety of, of uh, job titles that I read about. Yeah. So I chose social work with the, with the plan of getting licensed and becoming a therapist. I wasn't, um, I was brought up in the Catholic church and not really like a relationship with Christ. You know, we kind of went to church on holidays um, on and off during my life, we would go regularly, but it wasn't a very consistent thing in my life. So, and so when I actually got my master's, I wasn't involved in a Christian church or in a, in a relationship with Christ, I should say. And that happened after. So after I had my first job as a school social worker, probably like a year and a half later, I, I uh, accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. And the best way to describe it is like, Social work was like this vehicle that I was ready to like go forth and help, you know, and fulfill my mission. But Christ was like the gasoline for that vehicle to like get me hmm. going. So it just yeah. changed everything for me because I thought, you know, I was one of those five year plans person. Like I'm going to do this and this and sequentially like get to here. <laughs> I'm going to get licensed. And so I was always doing like the right thing, the right steps. And so when I met Christ. And in my life, it was like, okay, I can totally still do this, help people. It just is going to look different because I really want to incorporate faith because it became such a big part of my life. And I went to faith helped me before therapy. So I didn't know how to separate the two. Like, how can I do therapy without talking about faith, you know, or yeah. being able to say God or being able to say Jesus. So even as I was getting licensed, I thought maybe I shouldn't pursue like, um, licensure through the state. Maybe I should get a whole nother degree like Christian counseling. And, but then I started to do my research and understand that I could, act, you could be a, a, a state licensed therapist and practice Christian, you know, Christian yeah. values. So it was like a perfect combination because I was worried I was going to have to go and like get a whole nother degree to be able to in, incorporate faith and therapy. Yeah. So, so you, Obviously, right there, you're talking about kind of incorporating these two. Uh, a lot of times, you know, people see kind of mental health and faith things as uh, not compatible or things like that. Obviously, here on this show, we believe that they are. But how do those mm -hmm. things work together in kind of the way that you conceptualize it? Well, and I think at the time, my understanding of them being separate was because I worked in public schools. And so it was like, you know, you couldn't bring up certain things you know, yeah. in the workplace. Right. Um, and so because of that, I got this understanding, like they're, they should be separate. But the way I see it now is that, you know, we, my understanding is now that we are the holistic view that we're, you know, biopsychosocial, you know, spiritual beings is like, that's that missing piece. And so that's how I make sense of it now. But back then, I think it had a lot more with like the political climate of like the, uh, the work I was doing, which was in the school system, guided yeah. very much by that thinking, I have to separate the two, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the first time that I ever heard you was on the Latinx Therapy podcast. We were talking about anxiety, and you talked a lot on that show, obviously, because of what it is about kind of how your culture influenced the way that mental health is viewed or or the way anxiety is viewed, things like that. So could you, for listeners that say, hey, I don't really know anything about uh, anything other than, you know, the, whatever culture I come from, what are the... Are there different ways that within Latinx cultures that mental health is viewed or thought of or portrayed? Well, I think historically in our culture, and it's getting much better now, but with technology, I think, and, um, but there was no such thing as mental health. Like growing Hmm. up, it was, and I talked about that on that podcast interview, we never used the word anxiety, you know, depression. They would use other words like nerves in Spanish as nervios, you know? Or, you know, um, it was something debilitating, but temporary. And it, it wasn't talked about. Like if a family member was actually depressed, they were just kind of left alone. But nobody would talk about it. Like what's happening or why are they? There wasn't a language to like emotions. And like growing up, I never heard, how do you feel from anyone in my family? Or this is how yeah. I feel. I just saw the reactions. You know, I could I could sense reactions and I knew things you could, I could gauge the emotion, but I didn't have a word for it because I wasn't, I wasn't brought up in a, in a household where emotional language was a day-to-day thing. Yeah. So mental health for me was just not really existent. Um, in my, in my, you know, family, which is a subculture, right. But, um, there was al- al- alcohol, like a lot of people in my family was like, you're sad, you drink, you're happy, you drink. Like alcohol was a big thing, but kind of like you, you would, they would say like, you drink your worries away, but really you don't, you create other problems. Right. So, mm, right. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't really something I, I put words to until my, like even probably into being in this field. Yeah. Is that, so since you are now in this field and obviously you've had some of that language, has that shifted kind of backwards or trickled up into your family setting, your, the subculture there that you were talking about, or is it still kind of, you know, when you're in that setting, you don't really talk about it, but it's just kind of this job or, uh, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that has impacted kind of the, the settings that you're in. Yes, it has changed things. I, I think because of my our involvement as a family in church and understanding a lot of like the 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 holistic view so my husband is definitely on board like in our in our um, household we do talk about feeling words and of course that's part of me bringing my, my knowledge right into the house but even in my my extended family um we are talking more about it like even my last gathering a cousin had just had a panic attack the day before and we started talking about it and and then I started hearing, you know, I've been through that as well, which was like some of my, so now it's very much more conversational than it was, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's through the information and the education, but you know, now that part of the family has raised their children here in the United States. It's not so much that they are still in the, our home country, which is Mexico. Yeah. So uh, that's an interesting, you know, kind of point that you bring up of, simply changing locations maybe has influenced how those things are viewed and talked about as well versus, I mean, cause obviously your family is a one subculture and then, you know, kind of the Latin, the Latinx culture as a whole has its own kind of thing, but then being in different locations, would you say that that has, you know, cause we have kind of the United States culture type things depending on, you know, who you ask, but 
would you say that even changing settings has influenced some of that as well? Oh, yes, completely. Because, you know, even when we think about education, where my father's from, it's a very small mountainside village. So there there was an elementary school, but they had to travel outside of the village to go to middle school and high school, which most people didn't because they needed to work because survival was more important. So just not having the educational access, you know, understanding, you know, what what we know now about psychology, which is still very new, right? It's still not yeah. a very old thing. So you think about when they were growing up, it just wasn't part of their life. It was very much survival. You know, we work to live and when we're not working, we're enjoying our, our family because that's all we have, you know? Yeah. So there, there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't very much other information about, you know, yeah, how to treat mental health or what is mental health? Oh, that's mental health, you know? So I yeah. think just having access to more education and even the generations having more education, um, my my father's bro- youngest brother is the first um, graduate from university. I'm the second in the family and I'm the first master's level. So it's still, you know, my younger cousins are now in school getting master's degree, bachelor's degree, you know. So that's very new, the educational component in our, you know, in, our, in the culture here yeah. in the United States. Yeah. I'm interested in in the time, you know, kind of throughout your lifetime, have you seen, that's obviously within your family culture, but in, you know, I know that you, you practice in Spanish as well and things like that. Mm-hmm. In Latinx cultures, have you seen a shift in kind of the larger culture or you say, well, my family has shifted largely because of my individual training, but as mm-hmm. a whole, you know, I don't see that much change or, or, you know, do you? I do. I see a change. I think even back when I started, you know, in the profession, which was uh, 2005 to now, th- there's a lot more openness about it. Um, so now what's happened, I was just talking to a colleague about this the other day. So now you're, we're getting them in the office, but you're we're having to do a lot of psychoeducation of like, what is counseling? What is anxiety? Maybe yeah. just emotional intelligence stuff. Like, so now they're coming in, but now we have all this work to do of just like, we may not even get to the healing because we're just bringing awareness in the office, you know? So yeah, that's, that's where I w- we were talking about some of the, you know, how uh, a lot of our Hispanic clients will start. And then like after a session or two discontinue, like they won't, but because it's very new to them. So they don't even understand, like it's a process, you know, it's, it takes time. They kind of think of, okay, now I'm open to it. It's a quick fix. You have kind of very much like the magic wand fix me and I can go mm-hmm. on my way. Yeah. <laughs> so which I know that's not just our culture, that's in general, yeah, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I do see a lot more openness. It's less stigmatized. Um, we're talking about it a little more, or at least people are open. Whereas before, you know, the biggest thing in our culture is that we we have this saying that says, you wash your dirty laundry at home in Spanish. La ropa hmm. sucia se lava en casa, which means you don't talk to anyone outside of the family about what what what's not acceptable socially because that will bring shame and judgment to the family name. So very much things that are like, again, just, you know, mental health or sexuality or things that aren't culturally or socially acceptable at the time you didn't talk about, you just kind of really had to like struggle on your own. And so that is changing. I think it's like, okay, I can't ask for help, be it in the church from a pastor, from a leader, or be it, you know, my doctor, which people I, I think are opening more up to their doctors and 
you know, obviously the great doctors are saying, go go find a therapist, right? Right. So um, there's where that collaboration is tricking down. So I think it used to be I talk, I don't talk to anyone in the family. I mean, outside of the family about this. And if I do, it might be a religious leader or a doctor to people that have authority and trust, right? And now it's okay. And the doctor and the religious leader are hopefully saying one more step out, a therapist. And that's where that's changing. Yeah. The collaboration. Yeah. So you mentioned there, I mean, because one of my questions was going to be, what are some barriers to, to treatment in various types of cultures, right? And and you mentioned right there, okay, sometimes we're, we're getting Hispanic clients in, but then they're not staying for very long after a couple sessions or things like that, right? And I know mm-hmm. even just the language barrier, you know, you, uh, you practice in Spanish and then, uh, you know, I'm on a couple things that send out, you know, look, job openings and things in the Atlanta area. Uh, and there's, there's pretty much always you know, messages, hey, we're looking for a bilingual therapist or a Spanish speaking therapist, because even in, you know, if we look at rates of people in the mental health field, it's mostly whatever white men or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, what are some mm-hmm. common barriers that you're seeing in, you know, Hispanic clients, Hispanic cultures uh, towards getting some some mental health treatment aside from, I guess, mainly the, you know, the kind of stigma that we've already talked about? Right. So definitely, you know, outside of the language. So even though I speak Spanish, some of the barriers become then income, uh, which could be, you know, I I can afford the first session or a month of sessions. But when I think about this might take longer than that. I wasn't planning on it. I don't have the, I just can't afford it, you know, Um, because a lot of, you know, uh, there's a large percentage of the Latino population in poverty, but even those that aren't in poverty or even those that are, they also, many of them still support a second household in their country. So they're supporting either their parents or grandparents. So even though they might be doing well, you know, here they're, they're supporting other people outside of their own house. And so first it's that money. And then money is tied also to schedule. A lot of them work, you know, sun up to sundown. So, you know, again, they might be able to miss work for one appointment, but to keep asking, a, a job that doesn't have benefits. So they don't have sick time. They don't have, you know, many of them don't have insurance. And so you miss work, you lose your job, you know, right. no matter right. what, there's no, like, there's no good reason because you don't have that benefit. So yeah. I've had clients that will stop coming because they can't keep missing work. And if, because if they miss work, they're going to lose their job and then they'll lose their income. So then they definitely won't come. So income and work is, is, which again, goes back to education, right? If, you know, if you're not speaking the language, you can only take, you know, work in so many places that you don't need the language or right. the education. So, you know, I've had people that are ready to do the work or what are open to do it, but then these circumstances prevent them from staying in for the long, the long haul or whatever yeah. it's going to take for them to get better. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, hey, if you want to connect with Yesenia, you can find her on fullnessoflifecounseling.com. There's also a Facebook page, a Pinterest, on Instagram. We'll have links to all those in the show notes. I know you on Facebook do some videos as well, so people definitely want to check those out. If you want to connect with Holly, even though she's not here, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. Yesenia, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? 
No, just that I would encourage anyone who's listening and that speaks both languages, maybe considering, you know, mental health profession. We need, we need more of us. You know, we do need more um, Spanish speaking professionals. So I've been thinking too, like, how can I attract more, um, you know, people to my area? But like you're saying, it's probably more to the field in general, you know, um, that can provide these services because there is a, a misrepresentation of uh, bilingual therapists, I think, in the yeah. communities. And the ones that are, are either, you know, in agencies overworked, again, because of the income thing, or they have to travel far. And again, it's, it's not, it's not just one session or two. It's, it's more than that. So yeah. Yeah. I guess just, that would be it for anyone listening that has been th considering this um, field. We need you. We welcome you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.